From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Friday, June 16th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the UN's nuclear watchdog says the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine is unlikely to return to full power anytime soon. Greek authorities have made several arrests after the capsizing of a fishing vessel full of migrants. The powerful cyclones made landfall, causing extensive damage in India and Pakistan. In business, the EU central bank raises interest rates to the highest level in decades. In sports, Lionel Messi shows the scoring touch in Beijing. In culture and entertainment, the Belt and Road Film Festival Alliance turns five. And now the day's top stories. The head of the International Atomic Energy Agency says Europe's largest nuclear facility is unlikely to return to full power following the damage to a major dam. Rafael Grossi visited the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which uses water from the Kakovka reservoir to cool. Dasha Chernyshova reports. The head of the International Atomic Energy Agency says that a number of measures had been taken to stabilize the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear plant. Rafael Grossi traveled to the site following a visit to Kiev and said the situation at the plant remained serious. And they are considering the consequences of the destruction of Novaya Kakhovka Dam. For the moment, he said, the water levels are sufficient for cooling the plant. But the dam breach jeopardized reservoirs from which the reactors get cool in water. There is evaporation, there can be some leak, but it has to be maintained at that level. With the water that is here, the plant can be kept uh, safe for some time. The plant is going to be working to replenish the water so that the uh, safety uh, functions can continue normally. So, of course, it's something that we will be monitoring uh, very closely. The Russian managers of the power plant also said there are now four new officers from the IAEA monitoring the power plant. 
However, Grossi also described the prospect of Russia and Ukraine signing a document on the plant's security as unrealistic. He also visited the electric switchyard of the thermal power plant that came under attack last week. The head of Russia's state nuclear agency says the situation is stable. That was Dasha Chernyshova reporting. Russian President Vladimir Putin's received an update on the situation in the Kherson region and the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant after the Kokovka dam destruction. In a meeting with Putin, medical and biological agency chief Veronika Svortsova said water tests showed no pathogens growing in the water supply system. We took over the medical, sanitary and epidemiological supports of Enahorda and the Zaporozhia nuclear power plants. All radiation risks are being monitored. Everything is calm. Radiation limits have not been exceeded anywhere. The Russian Medical and Biological Agency has been working at Zaluzny port this week, where over 1,500 people evacuated from flooded areas. Authorities on both sides uh, pressed on the rescue and relocation efforts for civilians in the Kherson region, as many homes were submerged in polluted river water. United Nations and other aid groups have uh, said access to fresh drinking water is crucial and that waterborne diseases pose a big risk. NATO's Secretary General says Ukraine won't become a member of the alliance until after the conflict with uh, Russia is over. But at a meeting of defense ministers in Brussels, Jens Stoltenberg and the U.S. Defense Secretary assured Kyiv of long-term military support. Mark Webster reports. Arriving for the defense ministers' meeting here in Brussels, the U.S. Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin, warned that American support for Ukraine had to be long-term because, he said, this was a marathon, not a sprint. All 31 member countries are determined to maintain a united front as they put together a detailed plan of military assistance and training for Ukraine so as not to let Moscow think there is disunity in their ranks. In the US-led contact group of 50 countries, which are supplying weaponry and support equipment, the US said they would all have to dig deep to make sure Ukraine received everything it needed, including fighter planes, to ensure the success of its latest counteroffensive. Much to the disappointment of Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky, NATO has also indicated that it will not offer membership to Ukraine until the conflict is over, as they think that could provoke the Kremlin. Instead, they have indicated that it will establish a long-term weapons supply agreement. That will create uncertainty over whether the Ukrainian President will attend next month's NATO summit in Vilnius. He has indicated that he will not be there unless at least the prospect of NATO membership is on offer. Instead, what NATO wants to do is offer some long-term guarantees of safety to protect the country's future. That was Mark Webster reporting from Brussels. African leaders seeking to broker peace in the Russia-Ukraine conflict are set to launch their mission this weekend. They're scheduled to travel to both countries. Political analysts in South Korea believe this is a crucial intervention by the African leaders as the continent's been adversely affected by the conflict. Yolisa and Jamila spoke with some of them. The initiative to travel to Ukraine and Russia for the mediation efforts was drawn up by South Africa, Zambia. Senegal, the Republic of Congo, Uganda, and Egypt. The talks between these leaders have been facilitated by the Brazzaville Foundation, a non-profit organization that focuses on conflict resolution. 
Some analysts here say this is a critical mission to undertake because the continent is suffering as a result of the Ukraine-Russia conflict. And it is having an effect on, on food security uh, in many parts in Africa. But this is not only an African concern, it's a, it's a worldwide concern. We have rising food prices as a result of that, rising prices of other products and so on. So that I think, um, if one would objectively assess the reason for that, we could say that is in fact what prompted the African delegation. But I think it could also be subjectively motivated by uh, an aim to, to sort of uh, gain some diplomatic clout internationally and uh, to put Africa on a different sort of um, level as far as um, armed conflict situations are concerned. South Africa has been accused of favoring Russia in the conflict, despite its official neutral stance and repeatedly calling for a peaceful resolution. So it is in the best interests of Africa and Africans at large to make sure that there is a quick and decisive you know, negotiation which uh, brings the war to an end. Over and above that, um, you know, to be perceived by the world powers as taking a position in this war or taking a side in this war, you've got serious, again, economic ratifications to the African continent or to any other country within Africa that may seem to side with a certain uh, party, be it Europe, NATO, or, um, or, or Russia itself, or Ukraine itself. So it's a very, very difficult situation for the Africans, hence there is this, uh, you know, uh, combined effort by the leaders. These analysts say it would be hard to predict whether the African leaders' mission will make any difference, but they believe that any attempts to resolve a conflict and foster peace should be welcomed by all parties. They also emphasize that if these African leaders have a proper and neutral approach to their intervention, the mission might yield positive results. When announcing the trip to Moscow and Kyiv, South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa indicated that the Russian and Ukraine presidents are ready to welcome the delegation and have discussions on how the conflict can be brought to an end. That was Elisa Njamala in Johannesburg, South Africa. Coming up, a maritime disaster off the coast of Greece. Cyberbullying, like an invisible knife, is leaving an increasing number of internet users with deep wounds, some even with deaths. Why is bullying becoming increasingly rampant in the virtual world? Who are the victims? What needs to be done to create a bullying-free world? Find answers on this week's Chat Lounge on your favorite podcast platform and right here on CGTN Radio. Ten minutes past the hour. Authorities have arrested at least nine people following one of the worst disasters off the Greek coast. At least 78 are dead and 500 missing after a boat full of migrants capsized. Survivors say dozens of children were below deck and likely among the victims. Evangelosipsis has more. Nine people have been arrested for uh, smuggling these people, trying to smuggle them into Italy. Uh, they are currently in uh, custody and they're expected to appear in court. 104 people have been rescued. We're here when the first boat of the Hellenic Coast Guard came in. 
dropping off the bodies of those who lost their lives, putting them into refrigerator trucks and carried out to Athens so they can do the forensic science. Now, we do have a lot of reaction from politicians. The New Democracy Party and the Vice Minister of Migration was here. She said that the uh, authorities are doing a great job, but she did point the finger to the EU, saying that we need much more support. And also the opposition party, Alexis Tsipras from the city's opposition party, was here. Uh, his words were quite harsh towards the EU and the Greek authorities. He said, how is it possible when a boat is in distress in international waters, you are not there to support them and help them. You did not react uh, fast enough. All the political activities here in the country have been suspended, as we know that uh, the country is going through uh, national elections on June, uh, June 25th. All that is now on standby, as well as the country will be uh, in three-day mourning. And that was Evangelo Sipsis reporting in Greece. Iran's embassy in Saudi Arabia reopened earlier this month after a seven-year closure. The two countries began mending ties following a China broker deal in March. Iran's new ambassador to Saudi Arabia says the new chapter of relations between Tehran and Riyadh is only the beginning. Ali Raza Yati also says he hopes for more regional cooperation. Initially, the focus of Iran-Saudi Arabia relations is on bilateral ties. Our ties with Saudi Arabia are based on certain frameworks established through upstream documents and agreements signed between the two countries. These agreements include the General Agreement for Cooperation, as well as the Security Cooperation Agreement signed in 2001. We also have agreements on aerial transportation and cultural cooperation. All these agreements remain in effect, having been ratified by the respective domestic legislative bodies of both countries. Two of these agreements were mentioned in our recent agreement in Beijing. In addition to the recent willingness demonstrated by both countries, we have strong agreements. Through the implementation of these agreements, we anticipate improvements in economic, commercial and cultural relations in addition to the political ties. This is just the initial step in terms of cooperation. Naturally, we expect further regional cooperation and synergy within the Muslim world, as well as cooperation in regional and international organizations. We are willing to engage in a series of collaborations with Saudi Arabia. After the improvement of ties between the two major countries in the Middle East, uh, diplomacy in the regions witnessed a thaw. Turkey and Egypt have agreed to restore full diplomatic ties. Uh, Saudi and Omani delegations held talks with Houthi officials in Yemen in April uh, with the aim to end hostilities. The Arab League readmitted Syria at its summit last month. A federal grand jury has indicted a U.S. Air National Guardsman accused of leaking top-secret military intelligence records, and indicted, uh, or rather, it indicted Jack Teixeira on six counts of willful retention and transmission of classified information relating to national defense. The Justice Department says each charge provides for a sentence of up to 10 years in prison, with up to three years of supervised release and a fine of up to 250,000 U.S. dollars. 21-year-old Teixeira was arrested in April after allegedly posting highly classified materials on the messaging app Discord. Judge Young's marking the 20th anniversary of the Green Rural Revival Program. The province has taken a series of steps to improve its environment, setting the stage for a thriving tourism industry, especially in its rural areas. One highlight of the uh, transformation is the Morgan Mountain area, once plagued by industrial pollution. Now it's become an international countryside tourist spot, attracting visitors from around the world. Do Hong-Yu reports. 
Hotel Naked Retreats was born out of Morgan Mountain and has gained recognition as one of the world's premier destinations to explore. CEO Manoj Mehta of Naked Group, a high-end rural tourism provider, says the hotel's creation was the outcome of an unexpected event. Their founder got lost on the mountain and was helped by an elderly resident in a nearby village. There was an old lady who saw this foreigner、uh, carrying a bicycle and looking very tired and、uh, and desperately needed some water. And it's quite emotional for us that she uh, uh, she sat down Grant and gave him water and、uh, asked him if he was okay and needed some help. A complete stranger. Mehta says they found out that the village had very few young people and many of them were facing financial problems. Impressed by the breathtaking scenery, the founder decided to rent local houses and promote tourism. Mehta also says they've seen the local government take action to shut down polluting industries and improve the environment. Back in 2007, when we first got started, the policies and the steps the the local government was taking. Uh, were very、uh, environment friendly and、uh, ecologically friendly. I remember、uh, they were shutting down many of the polluting industries uh, that uh,、um, uh, that created、uh, you know、uh, pollution in the in the rivers and the、uh, in the forests around the the Mogunshan area. He notes that the ecological improvements have played a key role in realizing their vision of creating a natural and rejuvenating destination. The success of hotel naked retreats has inspired many young people to return and get involved in developing local tourism. Liu Huitao is one of them. He renovated his own houses and turned them into cozy homestays. In the beginning, most of the houses and the surrounding areas were in bad shape. But once we saw the improvements in the environment and the upgraded infrastructure, everyone was excited to spruce up their own houses and create one-of-a-kind homestays. We've even added some entertainment facilities like swimming pools. To attract more global tourists, the local government has set up an ecological research lab, cultural facilities, and different types of art villages based on the unique environmental features of the area. The Morgan Mountain region now boasts more than 800 homestays, which have generated over 3 billion yuan, or nearly 430 million U.S. dollars, in revenue as of 2022. However, balancing tourism development and environmental protection can be challenging. Dong Yunyun is a culture and tourism official in Deqing County. She says they have implemented a series of management plans that prioritize environmental considerations. We've been keeping a close eye on the number of homestays, and if they reach their maximum capacity, we won't approve any new ones. In certain areas, we even have restrictions on homestay development as part of our efforts to control and protect the region. This helps us strike a balance between development and conservation while effectively managing the available capacity. The official also notes that they are also actively promoting the concept of eco-friendly consumption when living in homestays. For the Beijing Hour, this is Dou Hongyu. For more discussions about the development of ecotourism in China, our podcast China Africa Talk spoke with Naked Retreats founder Grant Horsfield and colorful、uh, colorful Earth founder Coco Tang. You're welcome to check it out this weekend. We have new episodes every Friday or Saturday, and we hope you'll join us. 
Young men in Zhejiang's initiated a program called Our Happiness Project to boost rural incomes. His efforts have not only helped improve lives, but also sparked a surge of entrepreneurial spirit in villages. Zhang Tao has more. Our Happiness Project is designed to provide customized one-on-one services for villagers in their farming activities. Project founder Tsai Wenjun provides farmers with free vegetable seeds or young animals, and later purchases these produce or animals from them. Mountain villages don't have sales channel and market information. Most of them have not received much education, which makes it hard for them to kickstart a business. The project can help them start their businesses without traveling outside their villages. Villages are often underdeveloped due to poor infrastructure and high logistics costs. Born and raised in Gao'a village in Jinghua, Tsai knows the predicament well. The past 11 years have flown by in the blink of an eye. My initial intention was simply to improve rural people's income. By providing them with more support, they can earn more money. Before returning to his hometown, Tsai had agricultural businesses covering the whole Yangtze River Delta region in eastern China. This experience has enabled the businessman to initiate his project. In 2012, the annual per capita income of the first batch of 400 participants increased by more than 1,100 yuan, or around 155 U.S. dollars. Gao'a village has now developed into an agricultural base with hundreds of hectares of crops, fruits, and vegetables. By 2019, the sales volume of agricultural products from the village had reached 3.2 million U.S. dollars. To promote local agricultural sales, Tsai has set up specialty stores in cities and launched an official WeChat account for online orders. The project has expanded beyond the traditional agricultural sector to include homestays and some rural entertainment industries. The industrial chain of the project has expanded over the years. Our company has also benefited during the process. By the end of 2020, the number of participants in the project had exceeded 10,000, with an annual income increase of over 2 million US dollars. The project is only a microcosm of Zhejiang's extensive efforts to promote rural revitalization. In 2021, authorities vowed to help foster over 100,000 entrepreneurs in villages by the end of 2026. The plan aims to improve the livelihood for over 1 million rural residents. Wu Huangjuan is the Secretary General of the Agricultural Entrepreneur Development Association of Zhejiang Province. She says joint efforts from different parties are needed to realize the goal. We provide information resources to rural entrepreneurs, including favorable policies, financial support, talents, and technological information. The main purpose is to gather thousands of rural entrepreneurs into a strong force for rural revitalization. So far, the number of rural entrepreneurs in Zhejiang has surpassed 47,000. As a result, the per capita disposable income of rural residents in the province increased from around 750 US dollars in 2003 to over 5,000 in 2022. For the Beijing Hour, this is Jiang Tao. Coming up, a powerful cyclone causes extensive damage in India and Pakistan. Farmers can grow crops, but they can also dunk a basketball or score a hat trick in a football match. 
This week, I speak with our sports reporter Yang Guang to discuss the growing popularity of sports events in China's villages and why some Chinese travel far to watch farmers play sports. Available on all your preferred podcast platforms. Search for Deep Dive this Friday and find out. At 22 minutes past the hour, a power is out in Gujarat after Cyclone Bipajoy made landfall in the Indian state. It's also affecting neighboring Pakistan. Authorities have evacuated a total of 180,000 people in the two countries. Forecasters say the cyclone could be the region's worst storm in decades. Daniel Khan is in southeast Pakistan. I'm here at、uh, Kati Bandar. There has been a large-scale evacuation from the area. About 80,000 people have been evacuated、uh, from the low-lying areas of Sindh province, from Kati Bandar till the coast of、uh, Karachi, around、uh, 250 kilometers along、uh, coastal highway has been、uh, cleared. And I visited、uh, a few camps uh, that have been uh, made into uh, shelters for uh, the local fishermen community. And、uh, I spoke to the locals and. Is. They had mixed feelings. Some of them said that、uh, they know the sea and uh, that uh, they think that the、uh, the cyclone will not、uh, make a landfall in Kati Bandar. But、uh, many were、uh, glad that they were moved uh, uh, beforehand, and、uh, the authorities are providing them with all the facilities,、uh, food and medicine. And we also saw makeshift uh, camps, uh, uh, makeshift uh, hospitals there uh, for these、uh, fisherfolk community. That was Daniel Khan in Pakistan. China's weather authorities have issued a yellow warning for high temperatures in northern parts of the country. Temperatures reaching 35 degrees Celsius will persist for three consecutive days. Forecasters say temperatures could reach 37 degrees on Friday in Beijing and Tianjin, as well as in Hebei, Shandong, and Hunan provinces. Parts of these regions will see temperatures as high as 40 degrees.、Uh, some cities in Shandong are instructing outdoor workers to avoid peak heat hours and. Providing them with drinks, fruit, and medicine if needed. Low-lying Pacific Island nations are among the most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. Scientists say most of Tuvalu will likely be underwater by the end of the century. The government of the world's fourth smallest country fears that the only way to preserve its identity is by creating a digital nation. Greg Navarro explains. The scenery around Tuvalu's biggest island can be deceiving because the water that surrounds one of the world's smallest countries is sinking it. The impact of it is real. It's not just something that we talked about. It. It's not something that it comes on a textbook. It's not something that you see it on TV, but it's something that you see it happening every day. In just 30 years, scientists say more than 60 percent of Tuvalu will become flooded. And by the year 2100. Uh, much of the land will be submerged and un- uninhabitable. Tuvalu's government is doing what it can to prevent that from happening, including the reclamation pilot program, where sand is taken from the lagoon to create more land. It's also exploring legal options that would make bigger carbon-emitting countries pay Tuvalu for the impacts it's experiencing. When you talk to people here, you get a real sense of what's known as climate injustice—a concept that becomes clear when you consider that. Tuvalu contributes less than 0.03 percent to the total global emissions, yet it is arguably the country that is affected by the impacts from those emissions the most. Tuvalu is also taking the extraordinary steps of planning for a future without a physical presence.
As our land disappears, we have no choice but to become the world's first digital nation. That plan was unveiled in a video at this year's UN Climate Change Conference. We have to be innovative and creative uh, to come up with uh, alternative uh, means to preserve our uh, sovereignty, our identity, regardless of the impact of climate change and sea level rise on Tuvalu. It's designed in part to ensure the country's maritime boundaries are maintained, even if the country no longer exists. Our digital nation will provide an online presence that can replace our physical presence and allow us to continue to function as a state. University of South Pacific Tuvalu campus director Oregon Tanaki says creating a digital nation and uploading as much information as possible will also help preserve the country's unique culture and offer a sense of hope. I think the most important thing is uh, survival. You know, we give our people some sense of hope to continue on, maybe here or maybe elsewhere. Because Tanaki fears the people of Tuvalu will eventually be forced to relocate to other countries before their unique Pacific Island nation disappears. And that was Greg Navarro in Tuvalu. Police say at least 15 people are dead after a semi-trailer hit a small bus in Manitoba, Canada. Local media says the bus was carrying around 25 people, most of them elderly. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has sent his condolences. The crash is one of the deadliest road accidents in recent Canadian history. Uh, Saudi Arabian astronauts Ali Al Karni and Rayana Barnawi uh, say their recent trip to the International Space Station was an opportunity to serve humanity. Barnawi became the first Saudi woman in space after she joined the four-member crew on their mission to the space station last month. Al Karni and Barnawi are the first from their country to ride in a rocket since a Saudi prince launched aboard a space shuttle in 1985. We're at 28 past the hour in Beijing's down to 25 degrees this evening. Tomorrow's sunny with a high of 37. Chongqing's at 19 overnight, then moderate rainfall and 25 degrees. Lass is down to 9, then cloudy and 21. Hong Kong dips to 26 degrees, thunder showers and 31 on Saturday. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 20 this evening, then sunny and 30. Islamabad's getting clear skies and 23 degrees, then cloudy and 39. Bangkok's at 26 overnight, then a slight rain and 33 degrees. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a slight rain and 24 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the UN's nuclear watchdog says the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine is unlikely to return to full power anytime soon. Greek authorities have made several arrests after the capsizing of a fishing vessel that was full of migrants. And the powerful cyclones made landfall, causing extensive damage in India and Pakistan. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Friday. Still to come in business, the EU Central Bank raises interest rates to the highest level in decades. In sports, Lionel Messi shows a scoring touch in Beijing. In culture and entertainment, the Belt and Road Film Festival Alliance turns five. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn. 
Now checking the day's headlines, Chinese President Xi Jinping says the foundation of China-U.S. relations lies with the peoples, and China hopes uh, for continued friendship between the peoples of the two countries. The Chinese leader made the remarks during his meeting with Bill Gates, co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The Chinese president noted that the Microsoft co-founder is the first American friend that he's met in Beijing this year, saying that he appreciates the foundation's efforts to promote poverty reduction, health, and development in China. Gates said China's made remarkable achievements in poverty reduction, and the country's innovation and development is beneficial to the world. The last meeting between the Chinese president and Gates was held in 2015. In early 2020, President Xi wrote a letter to Gates thanking him and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for pledging assistance to China's fight against COVID-19. Russia has reiterated its call for the United Nations Security Council to investigate the Nord Stream gas pipeline explosions. Deputy UN Ambassador Dmitry Polyansky says Moscow is not happy with the progress of probes conducted by Sweden, Denmark and Germany. We uh, stressed that this situation is absolutely intolerable for uh, my country, that my country will uh, do its best to pursue this this uh, cause uh, and we will seek uh, international investigation and punishment of those who are behind this crime. We think that this is absolutely inadmissible uh, that uh, perpetrators of such heinous crime which directly affects international peace and security uh, are not yet identified and prosecuted. In the meantime, the Kremlin said it's studying all information about last year's blast. Earlier this year, U.S. journalist Seymour Hersh wrote an article saying U.S. Navy divers planted and triggered explosives that destroyed sections of Nord Stream. Recent U.S. media reports say the Central Intelligence Agency knew of a Ukrainian plot to attack the pipelines a few months before they were damaged. Finland's National Coalition Party says it's reached an agreement with three other parties to form a coalition government. NCP won the parliamentary election in April. Leader Pateri Orpo is set to become Finland's next prime minister. Orpo is sending outgoing left-wing prime minister Senna Marin into opposition by uniting the NCP, the Finns, Swedish People's Party and the Christian Democrats. Greek opposition leader Alexis Tsipras has called for the creation of new legal migration routes after a boat with migrants capsized near the Greek city of Kalamata. Uh, while visiting survivors, Tsipras called on all European Union member states to collectively take responsibility for the migration and asylum issues in the region. So a change in this migration policy is needed, a revision of the Dublin II, a new pact on migration and asylum, a pact that will spread responsibility among all member states, not only reception countries, and to have legal migration routes, not just walls. A boat crammed with migrants traveling from Libya to Italy capsized and sank off the Greek coast on Wednesday. Rescuers saved over 100 passengers, including Egyptians, Syrians, Pakistanis, Afghans, and Palestinians. However, authorities fear that hundreds more may have been trapped below deck, and if confirmed, it could be the worst tragedy ever recorded in the central Mediterranean. 
Spain expects the European Union to finalize a controversial pact on migration while the country holds the rotating presidency. Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez made the statement as he set out Spain's key priorities for its six-month presidency of the EU, which will begin on July 1st. He says the recent shipwreck off the coast of Greece has made the migration and asylum deal even more necessary. This is the best way to fight the mafias that are trafficking human beings, as well as the best way to cooperate with countries that suffer from migration itself is the external dimension. It is to reinforce that cooperation with the transit countries as well as the countries of origin. Pact on Migration aims to set a coordinated response to handling asylum seekers and migrants entering Europe without authorization. We would also see each country assigned a share of the 30,000 migrants expected to be accommodated by the bloc in its joint migration system at any given time. Spain intends to lead negotiations on behalf of the member states with the European Parliament to, to get this deal passed. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says the first group of migrants bust out of his state has arrived in Los Angeles. 42 migrants uh, arrived in the California city after a nearly 24-hour ride. Abbott called their removal from Texas uh, a much-needed relief. Immigration advocates say a local church in L.A. provided the arrivals with food, shelter, and legal aid. Abbott said small border towns remain overwhelmed and overrun by the thousands of people illegally crossing from Mexico because of President Joe Biden's refusal to secure the border. Since last year, Texas has sent more than 21,000 migrants to other U.S. uh, cities, including Washington, New York, and Chicago. That's your headline news update. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, the EU central bank raises interest rates to the highest level in decades. This week on China Africa Talk, a China-based South African ecotourism entrepreneur, together with a local expert in tourism, walk us through a discussion on ecological environments suitable for ecotourism. Catch the full discussion on China Africa Talk, available on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. 37 minutes past the hour now. Turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher today. Timothy Pope has more. Markets around the region were rising today. Uh, the Shanghai Composite Index added about six-tenths of one percent. The Shenzhen component rose more than one percent. Uh, the gains today in Shanghai were enough to push the Composite Index into positive territory for the week. Uh, hopes of more stimulus from the Chinese government have been driving those gains after the release of the latest economic numbers yesterday and moves uh, by the central bank this week to lower borrowing costs for commercial banks. Today, AI stocks were leading the gains on the Chinese mainland with Kunlun Tech adding 11.6% after announcing that one of its subsidiaries is planning to buy all the outstanding equity in one of its partner firms, which is uh, Singularity AI. That gave a lead to the rest of the industry as well. Rival developer Inspur was up by 8.6% today. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gained around 1.1%. In Japan, uh, the Nikkei was up around 7 tenths of a percent. The European Central Bank has raised its benchmark interest rate to 3.5%, the highest since May of 2001. Uh, The bank says persistently high inflation means uh, that more hikes are likely. Trent Murray reports from Berlin. 
Well, just a day after the US Federal Reserve announced that it would be pausing its program of interest rate hikes for now, the Europeans made abundantly clear that they would not be following suit. A widely expected announcement of a 25 basis point rate rise, it makes the main borrowing rate within the Eurozone 3.5%. The head of the ECB, Christine Lagarde, made it clear that inflation is still just far too high in Europe. The target, 2%, the current rate, 6.1%. It is for that reason that Christine Lagarde was incredibly hawkish in her news conference after saying that the bank was not only raising rates now, but it was also planning to do it at its next meeting come September. One of the interesting aspects of all of this was one of the main drivers of inflation in Europe. We know it has been rising energy costs. What Christine Lagarde said was that those energy costs are starting to come down, but a new problem has emerged here on the horizon, and that is companies pushing up their prices in order to preserve their profits. That in turn is putting pressure on both inflation and cost of living. Now, listening to Christine Lagarde today, it was very clear that this is not going to be the last of these rate rises. She said, are we done? Have we finished the journey? No, we are not at our destination. We have still got much more ground to cover. That was a big signal to the markets that there will be a debate this summer within the ECB about whether to raise rates again in September. It is clear they likely will. The big question is whether it will be by 25 basis points or another one of those big sledgehammer rises of 50 basis points. We will just have to wait and see. Markets had priced in today's rises. We saw Eurozone government bonds up. Also, the euro at a 15-year peak against the Japanese yen is at a, a four-year a four-week high, I should say, against the US dollar. As I say, markets uh, reacted to this very much against the news that it was expected, but they are now preparing themselves for that all-important meeting come September. Now was Trent Murray reporting. A day after the Federal Reserve pressed pause on hiking its key interest rates, economists turned to parsing the latest uh, retail sales numbers for May for signs on how consumers are holding up. Karina Mitchell has more. Shop till you drop? Maybe not, but U.S. consumers are still spending, despite higher costs, keeping the economy chugging along, at least for now. The Commerce Department reported retail sales for May came in better than expected. That is, consumers continue to be more thoughtful about where and how they choose to spend their disposable income. The headline numbers saw a gain of three-tenths of a percent month over month. The estimate was for a loss of one-tenth of a percent, based on a Reuters poll of economists. It is the second month of gains after retail sales tumbled in February and March. Looking at specific sectors, sales at auto dealers climbed 1.4 percent for the month. Sales at food and beverage places rose by four-tenths of a percent. Building material and garden equipment sales rose 2.2 percent, perhaps due to an increase in home renovations for the summer season. Furniture sales also up by four-tenths of a percent. And electronics and appliances up two-tenths of a percent, while gasoline sales dropped 2.6 percent, reflecting a drop in gas prices in May. Of course, it all comes on the back of the latest government data out earlier this week that showed consumer prices are continuing to moderate, rising by just one-tenth of a percent from April to May. And while the data shows consumers still willing to spend, some are doing so by borrowing and running up credit card debt. As of the end of May, U.S. consumers owed nearly $1 trillion on charge cards and other types of loans. That's a record amount, according to the Federal Reserve. That was Karina Mitchell reporting.
China's air passenger numbers increased 2.8% in May from the previous month. The country recorded 51.7 million air passenger trips last month. That's up from 50.3 million in April. The National Bureau of Statistics says last month's urban unemployment rate in China remains stable at 5.2 percent. Meantime, the unemployment rate for those aged 25 to 59 dropped to 4.1 percent, 0.1 points lower than April's reading. For rural migrant workers, the jobless rate was 4.9 percent in May, down by 0.2 points from April. Uh, the World Transport Convention 2023 is in Wuhan, Hubei province. The theme is innovation, low carbon, intelligence, and sharing a more sustainable transportation. Uh, Huang Yicheng has the latest. Throughout the conference and the seminars, the, the word sustainability has been frequently mentioned. And it's important to remember that sustainable transport isn't just about high-tech or electric vehicles. It's a broader concept that encompasses infrastructure projects. So, for instance, here at the exhibition center, many infrastructure projects are showcasing their eco-friendly concepts, which ensure uh, strict measures are being implemented to minimize any negative effects on the surrounding ecosystem. And these projects have marked a promising beginning and proved it's possible to develop large infrastructure projects and protect the environment at the same time. Two of the technologies showcased at this conference stood out to me. First, a shared bike is a newly developed model called Power Assist Shared Bike claiming to be somewhere in between a fully electric bike and the traditional one. And it is said to be less effort-consuming than a regular bicycle while paddling. And the product is set to be launched by the end of this year. Secondly, an intelligent driving company is displaying an uh, onboard device that can be installed on any car, allowing our private vehicles to connect to traffic infrastructure. And this technology is claimed to help make both roads and the vehicles smarter, leading to a reduction in traffic congestion. So, for instance, vehicles would receive real-time data from traffic and road conditions, allowing them to adjust uh, routes and speeds accordingly. And this technology aims to increase transportation efficiency while reducing carbon emissions at the same time. And that was Huang Yicheng reporting. Thailand's economy remains strong despite weaker shipments. The value of exports, a key driver of Thai growth, declined 5.2% from a year ago, uh, a year earlier rather, during the January to April period. Uh, the finance minister says the weaker bot will be supportive of exports for the rest of the year. New Zealand's manufacturing sector contracted in May and remains well below the long-term average. The Bank of New Zealand's seasonally adjusted performance of manufacturing index rose to 48.9 in May. New orders rose to 50.8, up from 49.6 in the prior month. Readings above 50 indicate expansion. You're listening to the Beijing Hour coming up in sports. Lionel Messi shows his scoring touch in Beijing. Lionel Messi's arrival in Beijing and the overnight popularity of the grassroots village Super League in Guizhou have sparked a new wave of football mania in China. How is Messi doing in the country? What are people's reactions to the football craze in rural China? Listen to this week's Sideline Story episode. Follow us on your favorite podcast listening apps. 
46 past the hour now and turning to sports here is Young Guang. Thank you Shane. Lionel Messi has scored the fastest goal in his international career as world champions Argentina beat Australia in a friendly in Beijing. The superstar slotted home with a signature left foot curling strike from outside the penalty area just 80 seconds into the game at the packed Worker Stadium. He led Argentina to a 2-0 home win, 2-0 win rather, in the rematch of the last 16 encounter at last year's World Cup. Argentine coach Leonel Scaloni says the team appreciated the Chinese fans for creating a home-like atmosphere. I only have words of gratitude and affection for how we were received today in the stadium. It almost seemed like we were playing in Argentina, and that's lovely that our players were showing so much support. It was also lovely. A very nice stadium. So I think, even though the journey here was long, it was more than worth our while coming. Argentina next travels to Jakarta to play Indonesia in another friendly. During his trip to China, Messi recalled his World Cup winning journey with Team Argentina. Messi attributed the success to every player's efforts and said the team grew from previous failures to claim the top honor. Everyone on the team played a role, and I think our coach is also very important. These are all reasons why we formed a powerful team. In the first Copa America, we didn't meet the target we had set, but I still believe that we were a strong team. We made tremendous efforts and grew a lot over the course. Messi also had some words for young Chinese footballers and fans. I think playing good football or not, most importantly, we must enjoy this beautiful spot. With it, we will find that children make more friends. We have more joyful time when playing the spot. It was Messi's seventh visit to China. Reports say he left Beijing for Barcelona after Thursday's game. Spain booked its place in a success, second successive UEFA Nations League final with a 2-1 victory over Italy. Substitutes Joselu scored a fortunate winner three minutes from the end to send Spain to Sunday's showdown against Croatia. Spain lost to France in the Nations League final two years ago. Chinese Super League outfit Beijing Guan has appointed Ricardo Suarez as the new head coach. He replaces Stanley Menzel, who left after less than one year in charge. Suarez previously coached in Portugal and Egypt's top flights. Beijing Guan now sits in seventh on the CSL table. Organizers of the Hangzhou Asian Games have unveiled medals for the games featuring Chinese cultural elements. Medal designer Zhang Junjie says they drew inspiration from the local Liangzhou history in Zhejiang province. The name of the medal is Wushan, and the element of its core designs come from the jade song of the Liangzhu culture, which proves our Chinese culture of 5,000 years. The form of jade song is very special. It is a square shape, but the shape of the metal is round. So we combine the square song and the round metal together, so that the whole metal forms a shape that square is compatible with the round. We hope that it can express the meaning of harmony and diversity. The front side of the medal depicts a picture scroll of Hangzhou surrounded by misty hills with the city. The reverse side takes the shape of a square seal, symbolizing the athlete's mark on the Asian Games. 
In golf, Ricky Fowler and Xander Schauffele shared late after a record-setting start to the U.S. Open. Fowler and world number six Schauffele both fired eight under par 62s that marked the lowest round in tournament history and equaled the lowest major round of all time. Fowler pulled, pulled in a tournament record of 10 birdies to set early pace, but Schauffele matched that unexpected score. Um, it's not really what you expect playing the U.S. Open, but monkey see, monkey do. Uh, was just chasing Ricky up the leaderboard, so um, glad he was just in front of me. Defending U.S. Open champion Matt Fitzpatrick got off to a slow start and labored to a 1 over 71. It's the first major event after a landmark merger of the PGA Tour and the Saudi-backed Live Golf. And in tennis, Chinese hopeful Wu Yibing's men's singles campaign at the Stuttgart Open ended in a narrow three-set loss to Martin Fusovic in the second round. Despite loss, Wu's trip in Germany can be seen as a success with his first-round victory over world number 30 Nick Kyrgios, which was also his first win on grass as a professional player. Elsewhere, 37-year-old Richard Gasket racked up the 600th ATP Tour win of his career and sent top seed Stefano Tsitsipas packing. Gasket edged the world number 5 in a tough three-set battle to reach the quarterfinals. He's the fourth active player to reach the 600-win milestone, joining Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal and Andy Murray. Second seed Taylor Fritz dispatched Arslan Karatsev 7-6-6-3 to reach the last eight. And finally, former world number one Andy Murray has confirmed that he will return to China to compete in the ATP Zhuhai Championships. The three-time Grand Slam champion will join Daniil Medvedev at the event that starts on September 20th. Murray won the inaugural edition of the ATP 250 event in 2019. Meantime, reports say Carlos Alcaraz is set to play at the China Open in Beijing in September. The ATP Tour returns to China this season after three years of pandemic disruption. Thank you very much. Uh, that was Yang Guang with Sports. This is the Beijing Hour. And coming up in culture, the Belt and Road Film Festival Alliance turns five. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 53 past the hour. In culture, a collection of duplicates of ancient Tibetan tankas and contemporary artworks from uh, Sakya County in uh, Shizhong are currently showing at the Shanghai History Museum and Shanghai Shuhei Art Museum. Some of the works are exhibited to the public for the first time. Among those is a collection of 17 duplicates of treasured ancient tankas. Well, this year marks the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative, as well as uh, the 5th anniversary of the Belt and Road Film Festival Alliance. Uh, the Alliance now boasts 55 partners worldwide. During this year's Belt and Road Film Week in Shanghai, organizers are screening 20 films from China and abroad. Uh, Soon Sachi has more. Indonesian director Camila Andini met spectators after a screening of her movie Uni at Palace Cinema in Lujiazui. The film made its world premiere at the 2021 Toronto International Film Festival, where it won the Platform Prize competition. Question is amazing. Uh, I have a very fun discussion outside after the movie as well. So it's been really, really great. The festival also arranged uh, me to meet 
other guests and also the filmmakers from here. I love like um, connecting with uh, the new people that I don't know as well and exchanging uh, perspective or cultures or even shares a lot of things about our industry. The plot of the film really surprised me. What touched me the most is the bravery of the female lead role in the process of developing her sense of identity. Some of the Indonesian culture shown in the film is different from what I expected. I understand the country better now. The theme of this year's Belt and Road Film Week is conversation. In addition to screening sessions, it features forums, workshops, and roundtable discussions about the film industry. They bring senior industry professionals from film festivals and film companies together to communicate with filmmakers. For the past five years, we have been introducing acclaimed Chinese films abroad and bringing movies produced by countries and regions involved in the Belt and Road Initiative into China. In the following years, we will widely distribute these films in these countries, according to the Plan Festival's Bridge. The Festival's Bridge program was launched last week in Shanghai. It aims to utilize the resources of the Belt and Road Film Festival Alliance to hold various film-themed activities, as well as create opportunities for collaboration among domestic and international filmmakers. That was Sun Suchi on the Belt and Road Film Festival. Walt Disney has pushed the release of Avatar 3 from December next year to December of 2025. The timeline is stretched even further for the next installments. Avatar, uh, Avatar 4 is now slated to hit theaters in 2029 and Avatar 5 in 2031. Director James Cameron, who launched Avatar back in 2009, has said that he may not direct films 4 and 5. Pixar Animation Studios has released its 27th feature film in theaters with a movie called Elemental. Meet the residents of Element City. Air usually has their head in the clouds. The film features Element City where fire, water, land and air residents live together. Movies projected to debut with up to $41 million this weekend in the U.S. And it's also opened on the Chinese mainland. Voice actor Ronnie Del Carmen says uh, the animation delivers a message to encourage people to explore the world. I think it's very timely in the world today. It's easy for us to actually just look at our phones and stay indoors and be in our homes and only talk to the people that you know. Whereas a lot of our adventures really is about discovering how other people live. How else can you understand? Even though it looks like we're very different, we're going to probably understand that at the very base, we are mostly all alike. With the latest animation, the pioneering studio behind blockbuster movies such as Toy Story, Cars, and Finding Nemo will be under pressure to demonstrate that it's not lost its Midas touch. Pixar had a box office disappointment with 2022 release Lightyear, which is the origin story of Toy Story hero Buzz Lightyear. The Beijing International Book Fair has kicked off, gathering exhibitors from 56 countries and regions at the four-day event. Exhibitors are showcasing more than 200,000 Chinese and foreign titles at this year's fair. The event also set up a special uh, section for Algeria, the country of honor at the fair, to showcase books and other cultural exhibits. 
58 past the hour. Beijing's at 25 degrees overnight. Tomorrow, sunny and 37. Chongqing's at 19 this evening. Then moderate rainfall and 25. Lasses all the way down to 9 degrees. And then uh, cloudy and 21. Hong Kong's at 26 tonight. Thunder showers and 31 for Saturday. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 20 this evening, followed by sunshine and 30. Islamabad's clear and 23 with clouds and 39 tomorrow. Bangkok's at 26 overnight. Then a slight rain and 33 degrees on Saturday. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the UN's nuclear watchdog says the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine is unlikely to return to full power anytime soon. And Greek authorities have made several arrests after the capsizing of a fishing vessel that was full of migrants. On behalf of staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.